You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belial and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician and editor-in-chief of Maine, Maine Home and Design, Oldport, Ageless, and Moxie Magazines. Love, Maine Radio show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormaine.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by... Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Ann Harris serves as the executive director of the Center for Grieving Children, an organization that serves grieving children, teenagers, families, and young adults with peer support, outreach, and education. Thank you for coming in again. Thank you. Good to be here. You've now been doing this for, I guess this is your 31st year, right? With The, the Center Center's for- 31st year, yes. yes. They started in 89. Or sorry, uh, 80, 87. I don't, I'm thinking of when I came to the United States. Sorry, 87 is when the Center started. And our founder, Bill Hammonds, um, started it um, because in his own life, his, his only sister, who was a single mom, and she was 39 and was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she had a nine-year-old daughter. So when his sister died, he was devastated himself, which less trying how to support his niece. And uh, he looked around Portland at that time, and there were some groups for adults. There was nothing for children, <clears throat> and he thought, you know, this was a real a real need. And around the same time, um, he saw something, I believe it was on 2020, that just listed this new place that had opened out in Portland, Oregon, called the Dougie Center. And he thought, you know, that's what we need here in Portland. And he was a stockbroker. So he packed in his job, tapped into his savings, went over there to see what they were doing, and then came back and um, adjusted what he had seen uh, and created his own center. We were the third in the US. So he made a really special effort to, um, the model was very important to him. The model was a family model, which again, given that time back then, Kubler-Ross was only beginning to write about grief. There was hardly anything getting written about children or even the acknowledgement that children grieved. So uh, this was very important to him that uh, it would be a family model where the whole family could come. But also what was important was the fact that it would be uh, facilitated, these groups, which are age appropriate, would be facilitated by people from the community who had gone through a 30 plus hour training. And uh, then they themselves, volunteers, would be supported by staff and you know clinical consultants and all of that to make sure that this was, um, you know, it, as I said, it was, it was a test back then. Um, obviously now, going on 31 years later, a lot more has been written uh, to in turn, you know, sus- you know actually uh, confirm that this approach does, does work. So um, he had a great vision. 
You are originally from Ireland. Correct. Do they have things like this back there? Um, I was not, again, you know, uh, you don't really think about that at that time back then. Um, I mean, now they do, but uh, it's not done the way, uh, you know, what I'm involved in is a very different kind of model. I, you know, there and in some other countries, uh, it either is um, a, a church-related type model, um, but not something that's done by, by volunteers. It may, it may be a clinical model, um, but nothing to the same degree as what I'm, what we're involved in here. Um, so it's, um, I think what we have here in the United States is, is pretty special. As I said, we were the third and there's now over 300 in those 31 years, so. What is the benefit of involving community members? Well, it is, um, it's it, to me, because I'm so much somebody who actually also benefited from attending the center, it is the fact that it is other people from the community. Um, it is like a gift of unconditional love. That's the, the gift from like what I would see from being an adult and being aware of being the facilitators in my group. But the other magic is the fact that it is peers you're going to have other people in your group who are your same age, and therefore you're breaking down the walls of isolation. Um, you're helping children to see that they are not alone. There are others experiencing the same kind of situation, and that there's, there's hope. There's other people there, and they seem to be doing okay. I mean, our, our program is a year-round program. So you could be the newest child in the group, but then you could also be aware of another child who's there a couple of months. So it is, it's giving you that sense that, wow, you know, each day, you know, this, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And I think that's pretty special. You benefited from this through, because of your daughter's death. Correct, yeah. Um, and it seems as though it would be hard to know when one is grieving something that large um, when or how to reach out for some people. Well, I think that's where awareness of our existence is, is very important. Um, for me, I, I became aware of the center because they actually responded to the school um, because it was a sudden death. and. That's how I became aware that they existed. And then also there was somebody in the school who actually volunteered at the center and I, I volunteered in the office at the school. I guess I had an ulterior motive because I wanted to keep an eye on my kids and you know, because you are very protective at, at, particularly at very pivotal times like this, you are overly protective. And so um, I got to know her and she um, told me more about the center. And so it kind of was there in my mind that, you know, in a way, even though I had a lot of education behind me around around children, because I was in, ed in education back in Ireland, um, but this aspect of a child's life, uh, how, how could you make it through? And also for me as a parent, how could you make it through and be a healthy parent to, um, 
to parent these kids going forward. Your your daughter was 12? She was 10, and it was a sudden virus that attacked her. We did not realize that she was sick. We thought she had a stomach virus. So, And she had has siblings yes she had she had two brothers um she was the middle child she was 10 um her brother was 11 going on 12 and her youngest one was eight so um she was we used to joke and say she was the the oreo or the white part in the cookie you know what i mean she just was the glue she really was so i i also wonder it would be devastating enough i imagine to lose a child, but then to continue to have to parent your other children? Absolutely. Um, it was a double-edged sword in the sense that, you know, you really just wanted to curl up in bed and pull the covers over your head and come back out in months ahead. Um, but you didn't have that luxury when you've got children to parent. And in that sense, uh, there's a bit of a saving grace in it too that uh, I had that, you know, that demand on me. Um, I think the other thing for me was the fact that I was only here two years from Ireland. So I didn't really, I hadn't really built up that network yet uh, of, of uh, friends and obviously no family and whatever. So um, being able to reach out and, and, and find a place like this uh, really helped, um, helped me. But I mean, again, you know, it, they were they were boys so again a little different um, but for me it was a case of well you know what this did not come with a rule book you know it's there I'll try it because um, you know having you know as I say a little knowledge is a, is a dangerous thing um, I knew that this was a as they're calling it now a, an ad- adverse childhood experience and uh, to make you know having moved to a new country and to you know that so you you take these experiences that children experience throughout their lives and some of them can be very very traumatic and it can severely impact you know the development of that of that child so I was very aware of that and so I I knew I I became a, a voracious reader um, to, to to learn all that I could about how kids experience this. And as I said, you know, there wasn't a lot written, but the little bit that was out there, I managed to um, to access. And actually, um, somebody from the community, one of the things that she did was she actually went to the library and got about six books and took them out and brought them and dropped them off and just left them there. Um, but the challenge at that time is my ability to concentrate in those very early days was, was very small. So really articles were something that, you know, I could really just concentrate on for a short amount of time and, 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 and get some information from them. And, you know, I, I, there were some important pieces that I'd leaned back then. And um, one of them was children saying how um, a, a bereaved parent kind of... Uh, idolized as the one that has died and the two that are the ones that are left behind are kind of relegated um so that was something that i wanted to make sure you know as much as possible was not going to be felt by by the kids and um also that uh, you didn't become overly protective and and not let them experience their childhood and um 
I have particular kind of moments when when that that piece that I picked up kind of came back to me in my uh, very in front of me in the sense the first time was when my oldest boy got his his driving license and he's driving off in the car with his brother and it's kind of like I'm standing there looking at my future just driving away in a car and it's like oh my goodness but again you gotta hold back on that um, the other one was when my older one came home from college and and said he wanted to join the Marines and I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> talk about wanting to hold yourself back and, and not want to uh, wrap them in cotton wool, you know. But um, those were important things for me to know that you had to release and let your children experience the world in spite of the fact that it seems like your world has fallen apart and how do you start to build some comfort and some um, assurity around what's going to, going to happen, which... I mean, in the big picture, you've no control over. But um, in in your naive way, as your parenting, you think you can control it all. You know, at least I thought anyway. <laughs> I'm one of the things that I, over the years, have become interested in as a doctor is that we never really let go of grief completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone who was in our life that we that we lose is always yeah. with us in some capacity. Absolutely. And the more years I have been a doctor, the more I've seen that this, it goes on for decades, maybe forever. It does. It does. And I think that's what's becoming, people are beginning to get that message now, which is, which is good because, you know, again, going back to Kugler-Ross, she, she said there were four, you know, four or five stages in grief and, and people, I think maybe naively, we wanted to think, well, five stages and you were done and it was wrapped up in a bow and, and that was it. And, and of course it's not. And, and not. not everybody goes through the stages, not only at the no. same pace, but in the same order, no, perhaps. Um, and it makes it difficult, I think, for people who are trying to be helpful yes. to know what to say or how to act. Right. Right. And again, going back to the work at the center, what we train our facilitators in is how to be reflective listeners, because really it's about getting your voice back. It's about hearing, hearing yourself you know, think in a way and having another person reflect it back. It may not be the facilitator that reflects it back, but it could be another participant in the group. And and, and that is so helpful. I know, um, you know, from the, sometimes it felt like you could be going crazy, right? So that can have a, its own aspect to it and how do you normalize to a degree something that's that's happening to you and that uh, it will be okay by certain supportive factors that are going to help you heal whether it is you know physically making sure you're going to your your doctor and you're staying healthy and you're getting that input and, and doing all the right things for your body um, to whether it is um, one-on-one counseling for a while um, or uh, in our case you, you come to a group setting um, and experience meeting other people who are walking the walk so th- you need to look at all of these aspects um, you know we, we do a piece on, on, on quadrants but about you know your physical your emotional your spiritual um, health those are all aspects of a of an individual 
It it has occur- it was just occurring to me sitting here now, and maybe I'm maybe I'm just slow on the uptake. But in a sense, you can be a grieving child really at any age. You, yeah. it is your, I believe, your inner child that is the most impacted by loss. Right. Yes. And and I have spoken to adults who've told me that they've benefited from going to the Center for Grieving mm-hmm. Children because they lost a parent at an early age yes. or a sibling at mm-hmm. an early age, and they were adults yes. that went to the center. Yes. So it, it's, it's interesting that you are absolutely serving an entire spectrum of physical ages, but you're still dealing with the emotional impact on the inner child. Yes, and uh, p- particularly our volunteers, I think, are the ones who would speak to that. Um, because you know, people will say, oh, to be a volunteer, do I have to have experienced a death in a prior life and you know, an earlier part of your life? And we kind of say, no, uh, there are different things that can happen to you in your life that will impact your emotional well-being. And so um, that's kind of a hidden gift, I think, that happens at the center. And probably part of the reason our volunteers stay for a long period of time is that is what they're getting uh, from that because they wish the center would have been there when 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 they'd had that experience. Um, so uh, it's um, it's it's an inner part of all that's happening at the center. I mean, for us, you know, our groups are, as I said, a family model. But what as we were working through the years, um, you know, the children's grief journey happens in in uh, age developmental stages. But the adults experience it differently. They're they're in this timeline. And so when the children were ready to leave the center, the adults were saying, oh, I really still could do it a group, you know. So as the center got got more, um, I guess, sustained in in its work and its support, uh, it started adding uh, extra adult groups. And also at that time, research was showing the better the adult does, the better the child does. So even though we might have added a bereaved parents group or a widow widower's partners group, we were still indirectly helping helping children. I have a, a patient who is a writer and puts things out on his blog. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel comfortable talking about mm-hmm. his grief because he's very open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an older gentleman, and his child um, died, I believe, when she was in her late teens. Mm-hmm. And she would have been my age, mm-hmm. which was something that uh, struck him, I believe, yeah. within the last year or so, that this wasn't a child that was mm, s- still whatever age she was. Right. This is an entire life that had been lost. Exactly. Yes. And... As a writer, he's been able to process this. Right. Um, one of the things that has come up, so that's sort of one thing, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing you might have had similar thoughts on that mm-hmm. because your daughter is my sister's age. Exactly. They knew yeah. each other yeah. at Yarmouth. Yeah. Um, so there's that piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then there's also, which is a second piece, the the fact that men and women even process death differently. Mm-hmm. As a mm-hmm. father, I think he processed def- death right. differently than his than wife. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, yes, you, you have, um, I try to explain to people that, you know, that, that horrific pain that you have in the beginning subsides. Uh, it gets easier, it gets easier. And then there are 
time, you know, a long period of time, you mightn't think about it at all as having happened to you. But then something, a, a life event, an incident of some kind, and the flash comes back. Um, you know, whether it is, you know, the day my son was getting married, or then you're my daughter's best friend getting married uh, that was a hard day for me because again you're thinking wow that's a life event I will not experience with her um, and then the same um, when my son had his 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 first child uh, which um, turned out to be a girl so those are all things that 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 yes but they don't bring you down they don't bring you back to to where you were uh, at least I feel that's because I've done so much work and, and I guess embrace sounds like you you welcome to know. Um, I, I trade places in the morning, but um, it's, it's, it's all the time processing. You know, you're a human being. You want to process, you know, you cannot stand still. You're not a, you're not a, you're just going to experience these things. And some people, um, it will bring them back to a, you know, maybe it will be the thing that will pull the rug from under them. And so therefore, then they need to get the support. And that's part of the reason the center does outreach to schools, because we, you know, we're asking teachers on the front line to help these students, to do something for these students that in turn might trigger in their lives something that happened. And there they've got to function and be there and support the kids. And yet inside, this flashback is happening for them, for their own loss. So that's why we also, behind the scenes, try to, you know, want to support the teachers because they're the ones who are going to be there day in and day out to work with the students. And is there a difference between the way that men and women process grief? Is it, can yes. you easily go along gender lines or is it just every individual is different? I think there's definitely an individual part of it, but I think there's different permissions that are given to the genders. You know, for, for men, there is that piece about um, that crying makes you look vulnerable, you know, being in touch with your feelings, you know, the, you're expected to be strong, you know, the old sayings of, you know, well, now you're the man of the house when the father dies and, and mom is left behind. And I mean, what a, what a ridiculous thing to say to a 10-year-old boy, you know. And mom is, you know, 30-something or 40. And now to the 10-year-old, you're the man of the house. So uh, those are unfair um, expectations that are that are put there. Um, girls on the other side of it are, are kind of given that permission to cry and, and probably do experience more. Their feelings are, are very much, I think, uh, to the forefront in, in, in a lot of cases. But then there's other things that they're not given permission to, like to be angry, you know, to be physical, you know, that's why we at the center have a, we have a, a room where you can be rambunctious and be safe and, you know, being physical, whatever that might be, that that's an important thing too for, for a girl to have, because these, these are all things that are healthy for your body, but they have to be done in a safe, in a safe way. And, you know, we will have, you know, male volunteers, you know, at, at the center who will say, you know, I was, everything was taken away, we were not allowed to talk about it. Well, the same was happened for girls too. Um, thankfully nowadays we're trying to, you know, uh, educate and help people understand. Um, I know we had one experience where this uh, volunteer 
having gone through our training, started re to reflect on the death of his own mom and how his dad kind of managed to or didn't manage to, to kind of um, parent the family and how it it created a fracture really in their relationship later um, and so that he hadn't seen his dad in a long time. So having gone through the training there was that light bulb that went on that had him think I need to go back and so he booked a flight to go visit his father and so there was that that reconnection because he began to see it from his father's side and 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 his father trying to do the best you know so that was a nice a nice uh, story to hear anything that you would like um our listeners to know about the center for grieving children anything that you think is particularly interesting or that you'd like to share I think sometimes when people hear the name grieving children that they think it's a sad place uh, and that is not yes what brings people there can be sad but children in a lot of cases experience it the first time that it's okay to be happy again because you went there's so much sadness in a house you know how can you be happy again how can you um, by coming to the center there's those opportunities to to have those those conversations and I think the other piece is that um, you know we we provide a lot of a lot of services. So I encourage people to go to our website and see all the work that we do because I think that's one of the pieces people will say to me, "Wow, I didn't know that you did so much." Um, and I think one of the other pieces is that you know we are there. Okay, we're not there twenty four seven, but we are there either on the phone or on the website um, to answer your questions and help you. You know, there's an awful lot of work that we do that does not mean you actually physically come inside the walls of the center. Um, but we do a lot of work with a lot of different kinds of populations. We have a big refugee and immigrant program. We have a tender living care program where we work with families who are dealing with a life-threatening life illness. And then, of course, there's our, our bereavement program. I appreciate all the work that you've done you. over the last several decades mm -hmm. now. Yeah. It must be a little hard to believe. It is hard to believe, actually, that there's more behind me than there is ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you're still here. I hope <laughs> you've still too. got a few decades <laughs> ahead of you still. Uh, I've been speaking with Anne Harris, who serves as the executive director of the Center for Grieving Children, an organization that serves grieving children, teenagers, families, and young adults with peer support, outreach, and education. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kate Gardner. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Andrea King, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Main Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.